Hey guys, how are we getting on? Welcome back to the JCC podcast for episode number nine. Today, we're joined by Brian Ohengesa, the head coach or the head nutritionist at the Fit Clinic. Brian has been in this industry for quite a while now in terms of working with from body first nutrition to a lot of education courses and now working with the Fit Clinic as an online nutrition coach. Today, we talk through improving relationships with food, mindful eating practices, pre-feeding checklists, um, a couple of funny fitness myths that myself and Brian have heard over the years to, that you don't need to worry about, um, and, and talking about plant-based diets and what, what Brian's diet currently looks like and what, what he looks for to, to implement and what, what's the most bang for your book um, foods to implement into your diet as well. So hopefully you guys can take something from this. Um, if you if you are struggling with any of these kind of problems, I think that there's no better man than Brian to, to touch base with. Um, so hopefully you enjoy the podcast, like I said, and uh, please drop me a message if you do enjoy it. And really appreciate all the feedback so far and everyone sharing them on their stories and things like this. So thank you so much. Enjoy the podcast and we will see you in the next one. Hey guys, how are we getting on? Welcome back to the JCC podcast for episode number nine. And today we are joined by Brian Ohengesa. How did I do? Did I get it right? Perfect. Yeah, top Lovely. marks. How are you today? Oh, I am very well, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. And something that I did want to, to bring on um, was yourself uh, in terms of like the, the role that you have in the Fit Clinic and just the whole topic of kind of what we're going to talk about today are relationship with food, mindful eating practices, and actually the, the eating practice or the eating process itself was something that I'm very into um, and just want to pick your brain on really, let alone put it onto a podcast. So great to have you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun chat, I would say. Absolutely. So do you want to give the listeners a little bit of an insight into you, um, who you are, what you do, and where you are at the moment? Yeah, sure thing. So um my name is brian angus as you perfectly put it thank you and i am a qualified nutritionist um i did four years of an undergrad in human nutrition in university college dublin um at, upon graduating from that uh yeah i had i had an idea that i did want to work in this kind of one-to-one sort of coaching space as opposed to doing anything else with uh with my degree and with my uh, skills yep. so um i did the, the precision nutrition coaching courses the the level one and two of that uh, after college uh, and okay. that's while i was working in body first nutrition as you know yep um and then while i was doing the the pn level two i started working for the fit clinic as well which was uh, I'll, t- I'll say what that is in a second but that was perfect because um you know, I needed to get hands-on yep. experience while doing that course. Ideally, um, so the Fit Clinic is uh, the company I work for. Uh, I'm the head coach and head nutritionist, um, and it's a, it's a nutrition coaching online service. Um, so we work with hundreds of people on a one-to-one basis, um, all online. So you can do it from anywhere, and we have a, a big team of eight nutritionists and coaches. So you know, we we can cater to a wide variety of people because we all have different sort of uh, skill sets, maybe different niches. Like we all obviously all have the same baseline level of nutrition skills, but then, um, you know, more specific niches uh, yeah. means we can help a lot of people. And we, we do help uh, a really, really wide range of people from 
just you know your usual body composition improve your health fat loss that sort of stuff down to athletes um also people with uh, any clinical issues that we might be able to help with depending on what they are um and personally for myself i've gotten into a lot of uh, helping people with their relationship with food um and trying to get away from the kind of disordered eating behaviors helping people with, with binge eating and that sort of thing so yeah that's that's what i've been doing now for the last um yeah just over three years isn't it so yeah it's great Nice. You've you built yourself up very well since since leaving. In terms of getting the the precision courses done, I know there's a lot of nutrition, like ridiculous nutrition courses that you can get out there in ten minutes, become a, a, <laughs> a certified nutritionist. As you know, what did you make of that? Out of curiosity, I know there's that one, and then the MNU. I think what's that? What's that called again? MNU, isn't it? Yeah, it is MNU. Yeah, Mac Nutrition. Mac Nutrition Uni yeah. or Universal or or whatever. I don't know what the yeah. last word is um yeah so yeah basically with the the degree that i did like it, it gives you all the nutrition science knowledge all the more information than you would need to be honest yeah, to, yeah. to work with people like i do um but gives you very little in the way of application mm. so you know it, doing doing the degree that i did it would set you up nicely to go into a career of nutrition academia maybe go do a a master's in dietetics and get into that uh, maybe work in the food industry um, those sort of things but uh, very little in terms of okay this person in front of you needs your help so um, how are you going to help them and you know MNU wasn't around at the time and like I got I get asked this a lot like just by people on Instagram just, just yeah. people who want to learn, yeah. learn more about nutrition um, so typically what I say is like from what I've seen uh, MNU looks quite good and say if I didn't do a degree in nutrition mm -hmm. that's probably what I would do okay. um, but the, the PN level 2 uh, I can't speak highly enough of like it was it was just class for the whole behavioral psychology side of the coaching process and actually working with yeah. people um, and like the, the, the level 1 is very good as well like if you, if you had not much of a uh, foundation nutrition that that would give it to you um for me it was it was mostly all revision um but then the level two was actually like very in-depth this is how to coach people mm. um, and how to actually get like results with this person um yeah. and there is obviously a, a decent chunk of nutrition in it too but again that's not what i was there for mm. so uh yeah i think i think they're both uh both excellent um but i think maybe mnu gives the best of both worlds um, in terms of information and then application. Yeah, I think this might be a little bit off topic now, but I think that's the key in coaching, isn't it? So, and what you see a lot of is that, you might, especially like doing a couple of courses and stuff, and I think in my master's degree, one, one rings out, where you just see these people, they just know the book, they know everything they know about, about well, I did mine in strength and conditioning, I'm sure that you were in, you saw some in precision that just knew everything to do with, nutrition and they know every single internet bit of uh, physiology the whole works but they can't get someone to coach them through a squat pattern or a hinge or something like that because they they don't have that um 
um, they don't have that. What am, what's the what's the I can't psychology? Excuse me. They don't have because the coaches psychology are not able to apply the knowledge that they have. I think that's really important. It's something that's that's actually the same with PT. And if we bring it back to that, they teach them the skills, but maybe not even to to actually coach it. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a big uh, it's a big difference between having the knowledge and then actually being able to have someone implement it in their life to actually yeah. make a change. And that's what it takes. Like, you know, you have all the knowledge in the world. If you can't, you can't communicate it properly, um, you, know, you can't get someone to buy into what you're suggesting, then it's going to be as good as useless. useless really. Yeah. 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 Couldn't agree like, with you more. Mm. 100%. So, jumping into kind of first topic, and I think one that, again, is, is, is talked a lot about, it's a bit of a buzz, I wouldn't say a buzzword because there's a negative side to it, of course, but. Um, relationship with food and I think it's thrown around a lot of the time but I'd love you love to get a, a really good definition from you and what what do you actually and um, what does it mean to you and if you were to coach someone through um a poor relationship with food say if I had a really poor relationship with food first of all what would that even mean and how do you go about the coaching process yeah yeah it's a good question um and this is something that like I said I see a lot of so you know it's something I'm getting more and more experience with uh in the last year or two so like when i think about someone's relationship with food i think about you know the impact that food has on their life um how it makes them feel how it makes them think uh how much like you know mental real estate does it take up for that person um you know are there are there behaviors relating to food aligned with where they would want them to be so, you know, that's kind of a long definition and it's not much of a like, specific mm-hmm. definition, but whenever I have somebody that comes to me and they might indicate that they, they want to improve their relationship with food, like the first question I asked them is, okay, well, how would you describe it right now? And then how would you like it to be different? Uh, and you can often phrase that as, you know, three months down the line, if your mm-hmm. relationship with food was much, much better, how would you know? What would that feel like? Or that what would be different in your life um because there is no real specific definition to it you know someone indicates they want to improve the relationship with food on their screen and form i have to see what that actually means to them first and then we can get to work on it um so a lot of the time it's like you know i don't want to feel guilty about eating certain foods um I don't want to be afraid of eating certain foods, uh, you know, for fear of they'll, they'll cause weight gain usually is, is the, the issue. Um, I want to be able to, you know, have more discipline and more uh, control with my eating. Um, so it doesn't, you know, they feel it gets out of hand. And a lot of the time when, when I ask it's uh, how would it be, what would be different or what would be different in, in this case, a lot of time it's like, you know, I'm not thinking about food as much um it's, it doesn't get this hyper focused i would know what to do and just be confident in being able to eat in a way that's aligned with my values and my goals on a daily and a weekly basis and you know if you can do that you can probably say your relationship with food is pretty good um so that's that's where it starts like you know well what do you need help with essentially and then we take it from there Okay. And in terms of like, um, 
let's say if, if I did, um, if I did have a very poor relationship with food, I know not uh, some re- listeners out there will have this. And I think it's quite quite a common um, occurrence at the moment. Say we, I think the main one that I would see as well from my end is guilty feeling guilty that they they overate the at the weekend through caloric uh, values or or from from certain foods and just demonizing certain foods with this is really really bad and i think that's something i think that i see of a lot mainly um from my side of things where we see mm. this this good and then bad side where it's not it's not really the case we know it's not like this food is really good and this food is really bad it's it's just making sure they're in line with our goals but not demonizing food would you would you agree with that oh yeah definitely that's that's one of the main things um to try and help people get over in terms of a hurdle is to not have this like dichotomy of good versus bad foods. Yeah. Yeah. hundred so, percent. Couldn't agree more. So if we, if you want to talk about how we actually look at that, um, it, there's two things you need to do there. Uh, or sorry, there's two things that I do, not that mm-hmm. everyone needs to do this, but, uh, first of all, they're going to need some, some proof that, there is not much of a difference between the, the good and bad nature of those foods, usually as it relates to weight gain. Yeah. Um, and then there's also quite a, a cognitive aspect to this that I will use to try and like rationalize away these uh, kind of false beliefs about foods being bad. Um, so, you know, the importance of context comes up here a lot, you know, so yeah. one I'll use a lot is like, you know, if you're stranded on a, on a desert island and I, I've, I've somehow put you there, right? And it's not a nice desert island, right? There's no mangoes and coconuts and the, the water's empty of fish, right? But I can somehow drop in this, uh, you know, 12-pack of Coca-Cola and that's all the sustenance you have. Like in that context, is that, is that a good or a bad food and beverage, right? Well, it's going to keep you alive. So it's probably the best thing in your life uh, in a from a nutrition standpoint yeah but then you put that into you know someone living not on a desert island just in a every a day or where, yeah. yeah an everyday living human um is is having 12 of those uh, full sugar cokes a week going to help them with their goals probably not um but that shows how context matters like in one case it's the best thing in the world in the other case it's you know what's typically thought of as like oh yeah it's, it's probably not the best or healthiest option um but i mean this is where this is where tracking food can sometimes come in handy because if you can have someone eat a small amount of whatever food is on their bad list and we'll usually i'll usually ask you know okay so what foods are on your bad list um they'll give you a long list usually and you start with with whatever one they deem the least bad and then start to sprinkle that into their weekly intake uh, and once they see then that they haven't okay. just exploded and gained five kilos in a week because they ate that food, it's like, all right, well, is this food actually detrimental? Um, in this context where you're not massively overeating it um, and you're, you're conscious and mindful of the other aspects of your diet, you don't, you don't have to use tracking to do this, but it, it yeah. can just be useful to help people see and learn a bit about um, you know, calories and, and nutrition makeups. Mm. And and then for, for something like overeating at the weekends, well, yeah, you have to look at the, the whole plan there. And it's like, you know, are they overeating the weekends because they're eating too little during the week? Yeah, um, something, I of, something I see of a lot as well, by the way. A lot. 
Yeah. So it's in your case, then as a people, um, you know, trying to be quote unquote good during the week and then they're, mm-hmm. they're unaware at the weekend or is it because they've been so restricted during the week that then they have to let loose? That's a, that's a that's a bad yeah I think so yeah I think that's a bad I remember one or two clients obviously remain unnamed and they would come in and when they first came into me they just said they had this awful binge habit and it was just um just trying to be as the diet that they were on was just crazy it was something like a thousand calories um low carb like nothing and then they said oh it blew blew over the weekend i was like of course we blew over the weekend she's like averaging about two and a half thousand the weekend i was like what if we what if we meet in the middle ground here let's start off at two thousand calories or something she's like yeah that's definitely achievable and then the weekend she wasn't even hitting that number by the end you know so again giving it context as well um and not trying to to overdo it at either ends but i think baby steps baby steps approach and all in moderation is key for that yeah and there there will be a case like for a lot of people where let's say a split of like lower calories during the week higher calories i usually two days of the weekend because you yeah. can't fit in three it's too much of a week to have as high calories otherwise you're just going to be in the same position of eating nothing during the week but yeah. uh, that split of say you know five days five yeah um except in, in this case the two is much higher intakes as opposed yeah. to the the usual five two fasting diet yeah um, and you know that's that's just looking at the person in front of you and saying okay well, what, what suits this person best like are they going out for meals um you know socializing a lot at the weekend yeah. let's see can we accommodate that now obviously if it gets too out of hand um and you know so you've obviously set it up properly so that it's not too low during the week uh but maybe they're still blowing over you probably just need to you know, talk to that person more about, look, you know, you have these goals. Um, how can we give you the, the same sort of social experience without you going over your, your calories? Like, so mm. it's a case of like, if you go out, do you have to get like, you know, pizza and fries and a soda uh, like and a dessert or something like that? Yeah. Um, you know, can, is there some leeway there where, you know, you have some of that, but not all of it. Therefore you, don't end up overeating and you can stay on track with your goals yeah um because yeah it sucks when when people feel guilty because you know they feel like their behaviors are not aligned with what they say they want to achieve like that's that feels terrible um, when that's mm-hmm. the case so being really clear on like what someone's values and priorities are as a result and saying okay what sort of behaviors support this uh, and taking it from there mm. Yeah, I think the all, all kind of in moderation and having that baby step approach where let's try this into diet. And I think that was a really nice analogy you gave at the beginning um, or a, a kind of a, a thought process where we can try this, see what happens. And then they, they understand they have that then that now new relationship in their head where, oh, I had this and I didn't blow up 10 kilos in a week. Okay, I can actually fit this into diet. And then you've just created that good relationship with food then through that food and having that slow process. And not I think that the... Um, it's the same with try, trying different foods like that digest well with you. If you try 15 different foods all at once, you won't know which one's good for you. It's the same with this one then, I think, um, that you're trying to say that if you try one little food at a time and then just say, yeah, I feel good and that's okay and I haven't gained 10 kilos of weight, then you can slowly implement one after the other. Yeah, and like another one I use there is, you know, say is... Uh, Say say chocolate is on their bad food list, and it's like no, I can't I can't have that. Like it's just 
it's going to make me gain tons of weight. And like, you know, sometimes it's a fear because they can't stop overeating it. Yeah. Um, but say they just, they just labeled it as being a bad food. It's like, all right, well, say you have like chocolate buttons, you know, if you eat one chocolate button, like that's chocolate. Is that, is that bad? Like, is that going to cause weight gain? How does that happen? Um, and you know, usually people will, by the time we're talking about this, they'll have some idea of energy balance and how that plays into things. And it's like, okay, well, one chocolate button probably isn't going to derail me. It's like, okay, well, what about two? And it's like, no, probably not. It's like three. And I was like, you keep pushing. It's like, okay, so where is this line that it suddenly mm-hmm. transitions to being from being like fine to being bad or unhelpful? Um, I'm just helping people think about it that way. Um, a bit more logically, just so they can see that the, uh, the other thoughts and beliefs they had about the food were probably not rational uh, and probably don't, don't stand up to dissection. Yeah. So it's a lot of back and forth, a lot of dialogue really just yeah. to, uh, to tease those things apart. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a really nice process to go about. It. So in terms of the phrase mindful eating, like what, what does that mean to you exactly? And what exactly is, is mindful eating? And is it, is it something that you, you look to implement into your coaching process? So mindful eating uh, to me is using more internal cues and signals to help guide your food choices rather than external ones. And so external ones being say like, uh, like tracking, you know, I give you a a 2,500 calorie target per day. It's like, well, what's, what are the odds that that's just perfect for what you need every day of the week? Like it's, Pretty, pretty unlikely. Um, and we also tie this into, you know, paying attention to hunger and fullness. So it's like, what are the odds that the amount of food that you put on a plate initially to eat is the perfect amount if you finish that every time, you know? So it's like, okay, am I just, am I just finishing the plate or am I actually paying some attention to how my fullness levels are, how I'm feeling while I'm eating this meal? So it's that sort of thing. It's talk, It's thinking about, you know, am I hungry? Is that hunger physical or is it something else? Like, could it be habitual hunger? Because I've sat down in, the t- in front of the TV for the evening. All of a sudden, I have a, a craving for food. Is that real or is that just a habit? Um, you know, am I feeling stressed or emotional? Like, is that why I'm hungry? Um, so am I looking for something that food may not be the best uh, fit to, to, you know, to fill that gap? in terms of what I'm feeling or I'm actually physically hungry. Um, so yeah, this is something I would use a decent amount. Um, especially with the, with these people that I work with that have say disordered eating behaviors, poor relationship with food, depending on the case. Um, like I said, tracking can be useful in some cases uh, in some of those cases. Uh, but it, it's, it's unhelpful in others. So, uh, and then some people just don't want to track as well, of course. So we have to yeah. factor that in. Um, and, you know, it's, it's pretty weak sauce if, uh, you know, you say, oh, no, this is the only way to get results. Like, it's just yeah. one, one tool. Um, so th- those are the kind of cases that use it in. And, you know, what we'd look at is eating your eating meals slowly and, and mindfully. So mindfully in that case is being, like, in your body, tuned in, yep. uh, paying attention to the actual process of eating the meal. Because most of the time we don't, do that with eating like you know we're on our laptops or on our phones or watching tv uh, anything like that and you know that takes away from the mindfulness of it so you know you could 
and this is something that I draw back to say the mindless eating that people experience um, in front of the TV. It's like, well, if your mind is 50% on the TV and 50% on the food you're eating, do you need to eat twice as much of that food to get the same level of kind of satisfaction from it? Because yeah. you're not really attention. Like you could eat, you know, you could eat a chocolate bar in front of the TV and I'd say, you know, Josh, what? Don't what even remember. And yeah, you might not be able to tell me. Um, so we, we kind of do this in depth at the start just to get people really switched on and, and paying attention. So in terms of mindful eating, it's like, okay, uh, as, as little distractions as possible. It's like, so basically you're not doing anything else while you're eating except eating unless you're eating with company, um, which is beneficial in its own right. So we know we don't say, you know, I have to, if I'm, if we're eating together, like I'm not trying to tune you out and okay, yeah. uh, ignore what you're saying. Like it's not, it's not that, <laughs> I guess. um, but you know, actually looking at the meal, you know, before you eat it, um, if you get really in depth with mindful eating, like you're talking about, uh, you know, the, get, getting all the different sensations, the smells, uh, how the food tastes, how it feels when you chew it. Um, having people tune into all this sort of thing. And what happens there is you are actually aware of what's going on in your body, first of all. So if you find that you are becoming full, you can actually sense that. Um, and it does take some practice. Like I will say that yeah. this isn't like from day one that all of this just suddenly runs smoothly. Like it's, it's like any skill or habit, like it takes practice and repetition. Um, and then this emphasis on eating slowly. Okay. Because, you know, this whole thing where you're, you know, it takes your, your stomach or your brain 15 minutes to communicate that you've eaten a big meal to actually say that you're full. Like that's, it's true. There's some truth in that. So, um, eating meals quite slowly is important. Chewing their food. Well, another bonus with this is like p people with digestive, uh, just issues. Say, yeah. yeah, that all goes away pretty much when, you actually eat in a more relaxed, mindful, slow state, right? Yeah. Because if you think about how we, a, a lot of us eat, it's like on the go yeah. or, you know, we're, we're trying to mail it into us before we have to get back to work or go to wherever the next place we have to be is. Um, and, you know, if you're in that low level fight or flight state, like in a low level of stress, uh, you know, you're the other side of that, the rest and digest is not going to be optimized. Yeah. All right. So it makes sense. Um, so a, a simple way for clients to remember this is to call it the 5, 10, 15 rule, uh, which uh, denotes five deep breaths before you go and eat your meal. Now, it doesn't, again, all these numbers are some, somewhat arbitrary. Yeah. It's just 5, 10, 15 is easy to remember. Um, so five deep breaths, but that could be 10 deep breaths, could be 20. And what will that, that will do is uh, put your body into a more relaxed and lower stress state, right? So you're already in a better position to digest, pay attention to your food. Um, then the, the 10 is to the 10 seconds, you're going to put the food or the fork or the spoon down between bites. Okay. To encourage more slower eating. And while you're doing that, you're going to be more mindful. You're going to be paying attention to the sensations. Um, and then the 15 is like at least 15 minutes to eat that meal. And again, that it doesn't have to be 15 minutes. It could be 20, it could be 25. 30, depending on how big the meal is. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's, that's a simple way for clients to remember how to approach their meals. And, you know, we, nice. can, we can do that before even looking at food selection yep. and still get a lot of uh, positive return.
yeah. I think that's really nice. And I've, I've heard of that five, 10, I actually heard five, 10, 15, 20, and then 20 choose a bite as well. And I think that, that part that, that a lot of people miss is that cephalic phase of digestion, that kind of looking at the food, embracing it, smelling it, looking at it, because that's when everything starts. That's how digestion starts. And if it's that case of you're staring, watching last episode of Game of Thrones or something like that, and you're trying to eat this, you're not, you're not starting that cephalic phase, you're not even looking at the food. Mm. And something that I genuinely have been really big on over the last number of years, like anyone who knows me back in the day, food gone in, there was five, it was the five, uh, there was no five, 10, 15, it was just five seconds, food gone in five seconds kind of thing. Just hammer it down as quick as I could because the more, uh, the quicker I ate it, the more time I have to eat, the more food I can eat, the more I can grow. And it's just this ridiculous method, that methodology that I used to use. But um, doing a little bit of digging over the last couple of years and some of that and learning about the whole process of it, that's why I really wanted to get you on. And, and clients will ha- all have the kind of a, a pre, that's the kind of next point that I want to talk, to talk about, but I think that you've pretty much ticked it there, is the kind of pre-feeding and, and feeding checklist, having that that little bit of time to push parasympathetic dominance, calm our nervous system because we know we need to be on that side, cephalic phase and taking our time chewing our food. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And then I will, I will encourage people to, you know, depending what their goals are, if it's, if it's a fat loss or a weight loss goal, it's like, okay, you're going to stop when you're about 70 to 80% full. <clears throat> and you know, you, you'll have no concept of what that is if you're not already eating slowly and you're not eating mindfully. Is it eating too fast? Um, you'll end up over full before you know it. Um, so you're just going to be like, oh, damn, I'm a, I'm a 10 or 11 here. Hmm. Uh, how did that happen? If you're not eating mindfully, you're going to have no consciousness of actually the sensations of fullness in your stomach. Um, but yeah, that would be the, the goal to work towards. And then those are kind of the three ones to hit. It's like eating slowly, eating mindfully, eating to appropriate amounts of fullness. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the Japanese have this uh, concept of harihachibu, which means eat till 80% full. Um, Maybe, yeah. and, you know, that's, that's what they put a lot of the, you know, this, the health to the Okinawans and things down to. It's like okay. they, they actually are mindful of their, how, how full they are and they don't eat everything on the plate just because it's in front of them. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, I'll often use like a hybrid approach with clients with this. So um, we'll, we'll start with looking at these principles, but if I think tracking might be useful or they have a good relationship with tracking as it is, um, we can incorporate that and give people a calorie range um, on a daily basis. So a low end and a high end. And, you know, the, into or the you know the internal signals and the, the mindful aspects are going to dictate how much you eat on a given day because you know your, your hunger levels are going to fluctuate day to day yeah. based on you know how you've slept and how active you are how stressed you are that sort of stuff so in terms of anyone who does have the same kind of problem like when you said like become 80 percent full like what are the things that you look for like how, how do we know like i I'd not kind of have some sort of indication when I'm full, but how, what are the kind of things that you look for yourself or you tell clients to look for when they, you say, okay, this is 80% full or so. Mm. Yeah. So like I said, this is, this is a skill that you're going to have to develop and you get better at this as you put more reps into mindful eating. 
and you're actually aware of these sensations yourself. So you'll get a better grasp of it. And it's, it's very much the case that like the first week or so, I don't expect people to, to get this right necessarily because they, they, unless they are like consistently meditating and have a mindfulness practice, they, they may not have any concept of, oh, I'm actually going to put myself basically like in my stomach and feel what that feels like. Um, but it's, it's, it's usually sensations there um, would actually how full your stomach feels. Um, so it's, it can be kind of hard to describe, yeah. but you know, any sort of mindfulness based practices like putting your, putting your consciousness in the different parts of your body. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're, you're putting your consciousness into your stomach in this case and trying to gauge, you know, cause you will, you'll have a reference point of say, you know, after Christmas dinner, you're, you're probably, you're, you're stuffed to the brim, like you're 10 out of 10 then. So that's usually what I'll, I'll relate it to and try to have clients think back. Okay. So if that's a 10 out of 10 or beyond, let's say, um, 12 out of 10 for myself. Yeah. 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 Uh, what, what's stopping like a little bit short of that. And it's like, you're, you're content, but you're not very full. So you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm satisfied by this meal. If I wanted to, I could eat more. Um, but I'm pretty like, if I just wanted to do it, not, not in that, like, Oh, I really would like to eat more, but it's just like, you know, if I, if I was, if I was eating quickly and just wanted to put it away, I'd be able to. Um, and then because you're eating slowly, you're going to have a much better sense of where you're going to hit that point. You know, it doesn't come on you too fast. And then as a result, people get a lot more satisfaction from their meals. Um, so like I said, that's how you can get results without actually having to change food selection because yeah. uh, people are just, they, they end up eating, generally they end up eating less um, naturally because they're actually, no, actually that was quite satisfying. Uh, I don't have to eat as as big a portion as I usually do. Um, so yeah, and it's, it's, it's so good as well for even people who don't do this like all the time. It's so good for eating out, uh, say in restaurants yeah. and stuff. Um, that's a really, really big one. Cause you know, people often wonder like, you know, how do I manage going out to eat in restaurants? Like, you know, it's very hard to track. Uh, of course it is. And if you can just stick to these mindful eating behaviors, what in your meal out. And if you have, depending on your goals and depending on the, the situation, uh, if you have some conscientiousness of food selection, you're going to be fine. Um, like, you know, it's not always the case that you're going to try and choose better options when you're in a restaurant, but that's a, another story. Like that just depends uh, on the case uh, and the context there. But, you know, and if you think about how a restaurant meal plays out, it's like, you know, you got potentially got a starter then a main course, you know, your diet's actually stretched over a long time. Yeah. So if you're actually paying attention to these sorts of things, and when, by the time like dessert comes around, it's like, no, do I really want that? Like maybe I'll get one, but I don't, I don't need to finish it. Um, and trying to get people away from, like I said, all these external cues of like, you know, finish your plate. Um, you know, you, the meal shouldn't end because there's no more food in the plate. It should end when you're, like I said, comfortably satisfied. You know, it doesn't matter how much food is left on the plate. But that's drilled into us like from childhood where, you know, you got to finish your plate or you don't get dessert or to finish your plate or the, the starving kids in Africa will suffer as a result. Like all this nonsense. Yeah. So it's trying to it's trying to ask yourself you know well what what do i use to guide me on how much i eat at this meal 
and it probably shouldn't be what's on the plate. It probably should be something more internal. And obviously, if, if someone has, you know, as a disclaimer, like if someone has kind of uh, high level fat loss goals or maybe physique goals, like they will get to a point where they're going to have to start just ignoring their hunger signals and they're going to yeah, have to. Yeah. But that, you know, that is a different level. And those people are generally ready for that at that point. And they're probably, tra- they're probably, they're all tracking their food, I would say, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they have their numbers to hit. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm like six weeks, six weeks out from a physique show. I'm still hungry after this meal. It's like, yeah, that just comes with the territory. But for mm-hmm. most people, um, these kind of things we're talking about are really, really good to implement, yeah. um, basically, in, in all other contexts. Yeah, I think that's a really nice one as well. That the time it takes you. I know there's loads of studies, and I tell all my clients the same as well. If they're hunger, if I have an, a part of of a questionnaire saying appetite for the week, were you hungry? Were you satisfied? Were you blah blah whatever? Um, through the week or through your meals, and if it's ever very hungry, we have to just look look back and say how long were you really taking to eat your meal? Because there's countless studies that will show that for any listeners out there, if you smash your meal as quick as I was back in the day in five, 10 minutes or else cloned myself and all my meals were taken 25, 30 minutes. What's likely is that the clone who's taken 25, 30 minutes is going to have a much lower caloric um, consumption throughout the day. So just by simply taking their time eating the meal and what's actually happening there under the skin of that is, is just like we're talking about mindful eating, staying present with the meal and taking a time and better digestion, things like this, and just noting when you're full but I think the the main thing that, that I took from that is it's just time it's just noting when when you um it's just practice even excuse me um just know knowing all these signals yourself these internal signals you know what I could probably leave that and I have a problem doing that as well I'll always I'll always try and finish everything but I think I need to get better at just saying you know what I'm not I don't actually need to to eat all this yeah and what I do like to say as well is like this isn't a skill that is brand new to us like Mm -hmm. as kids and infants this is what we did like we we ate until we were full and then we stopped um and we unlearn that uh, as different external factors like i've said come into play so it's really just the case of you know going back to that and just relearning these skills that you've kind of cast to the side for the last however many years um so you do have them innately uh, you just need to bring them back yeah, that's such a really good point. You always see kids leaving ridiculous amount of food in their plates, and they—they're ahead of the game. They're—they're—they're they're, they're on the front foot instead of us. <laughs> um, one thing I did want to talk about, actually, just kind of came to mind, is—is is snacking, and I—I I would always kind of usually um, put some sort of snacks on the on a on a meal plan. But I've, I listened to a podcast a while ago. I can't remember who who said it, and it was so, someone talking about. Um, eating practices and things like this and they they brought up a good point and my thought process now is that snacks what what's the word that come think when you think of snack quick on the go really quick and since i kind of kind of thought about that process i haven't really started unless it, it's absolutely needed in a certain time period where we know hunger is very high or we need a snack there i've started to take them away because the eating habits or the the process of eating can't be if I'm having a quick bag of nuts nuts while I'm jumping in from client to client or if any PTs yeah. are listening or or if you have um, a consultation now and then one in 
five minutes and you run in you mill a bowl of oats like it's never you're never going to be able to digest and utilize that food uh, well enough what, what would you kind of think about the whole snacks thought, thought process yeah so i think with snacks you're, you're right and uh, what you're saying there that they're generally going to be filling a gap they're on the go they're, they're more convenient like they are generally going to be a smaller meal like a much much yeah. smaller meal um in terms of volume anyway so for that reason like i don't think you're going to be looking for that you know 70 80 fullness yeah. from a snack um it's more just to tide you over and i don't think there's as much of an issue with eating that more quickly um okay. so probably with snacks it, it comes down to like the, the the selection and the choices um you know to to make sure they're not out of line with with what's required for this person um because like like i say that to people as well like i don't expect i don't expect you to eat like an apple and a few almonds you know and, yeah <laughs> yeah exactly 30 minute um, banana um but they they definitely have their utility like you said if, they, if you need to fill a gap and one thing we do usually want to do is not let it go super long between meals because mm -hmm. You know, one of the main causes of quote unquote binging that I see is just people being fucking hungry by the time they yeah. come home. Like if they've eaten their lunch at like one o'clock and they're working until five and then they go train from, you know, yeah. half five to half six, like you're pushing a long, long time between meals there. Uh, and of course, you're going to be ravenous, especially if you've trained. Yeah. You're going to be, you're going to be very, very hungry. So having a tactical snack there, you know, probably before they go to train or shortly before that, if they can't get like a, a, yeah, a, a normal meal in um, is a good idea because, you know, trying to uh, like fitting in with this kind of mindful eating approach. It's also having meals reasonably regularly. Um, Cause you know, you look like a, you look at a process or a protocol like intermittent fasting. It's like, well, that's you're, you're ignoring, you know, you're ignoring hunger signals yep, to yep. some degree. When you do eat, you should still follow these principles. Um, but for, especially for people who maybe uh, have issues with binge eating, like having regular meal times, not letting themselves get too hungry is, is a really, really important point. Um, so for that reason, like snacks usually come into it. But I think, uh, you know, I, I don't really snack much personally because yeah. um, I, eat, I eat quite large main meals anyway. And then I also eat them with this kind of these kind of things in mind so it's rarely a yeah. need for a snack um and I'll, I'll easily go i know i'm saying to eat regularly but i will easily go like five or six hours uh, without a meal now once we get beyond that point i'll start to notice the effects of having gone too long without food and it's not um i'm oh, sorry i say too long like there's you know we can go quite a while without food but mm. you know in, in this context uh, and then for me it's not even usually the hunger but it's like my energy levels start to dip um and it's just kind of fatigue, start, yeah, yeah. fatigue starts to set in um so you know there's different signals that will let you know that you're hungry it's not always like a rumble in the belly yeah and as well like that from that i see a lot of people come in and and we'd say okay we're going to train the evening and then let's see their meat they're they're like i always say can you give me the last two days um, meal plans or your kind of what you've eaten over the last few days and then it'd be like and what times you trained and it'd be like half 12 chicken salad or like chicken stir fry 50 grams of rice something and then six six o'clock train i'm like 
six o'clock how can you and then they, they'll say i'm always starving like and then are you where are you hungriest during the day and it's always like right before i train like, we'll just eat something joe and from a from a caloric perspective even if you bring that back it's that eat more move more or eat more more output you're going to have a much much higher quality train session if you had something two hours before let's say you're going to probably burn more calories during a session you're going to stimulate more tissue you're going to potentially move your physique forward all by just by putting in that that food but i think that again it comes back to that thought process everyone thinks less food is is better because it's going to get me to my goals quicker do you know where actually yeah. potentially eating a bit more food i've done that for you yeah and and you like in that case you're gonna end up overeating yeah when you come after home. yeah 100 you, you're those calories are going to find their way in except mm. in that case you're going to feel out of control that like you have poor eating habits versus yeah. a snack or a meal that's actually planned for it's like okay i ticked that off now i can go have a good training session mm. um you know it's very much a green light behavior there yeah 100 percent so just kind of on that little point as well, I think that the information out there for everyone is just so readily available, like Instagram, Twitter, social media, et cetera, all these platforms. What do you believe to kind of be like big, big myths for people to stay away from? We know all those ones like don't eat carbs after six, which I, by the way, I followed for years. My cousins <laughs> told me, and if they are listening, I'm sure they are listening to this. It was all their fault. <laughs> I was good, no carbs. My mom would have dinner ready on the table five past six. And I was like, nope. Can't do it. Chicken breast for me. <laughs> Swear to God. But what are the kind of the main ones that you, because some, some people might out there might be following one and then until they hear that Brian says otherwise, do you know? What are the yeah. Main ones here? Like, you know, this is an interesting question for me because I definitely forget what kind of myths are actually pervasive. Um, do you know, so you might say something to me and I'm like, what, is that still a myth? Do people still do people still talk about that? I thought we I thought we got rid of that one, um, and I you know I, I tend to obviously only have consume higher quality information, um, but some some ones that come to mind like so I don't know some of these may not fit with actual myths, okay. but then again I don't know what what's actually out there, out there yeah. necessarily that people still believe in because a lot of these I'll be like you know obviously my clients don't believe in them because we've we've dispelled them if if that's the case um but things like say artificial sweeteners being uh really bad for you uh that's one that i see a lot of um uh and you know it's 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 not true you know things like aspartame sucralose um like they, they they're not shown to have any <clears throat> excuse me negative health consequences outside of maybe maybe small subsets of people that are sensitive to them um and <clears throat> excuse me yeah so the the quantities that we consume artificial sweeteners in right so most of the studies that will show a negative effect of artificial sweeteners like they're they're pumping usually mice or rats like so full of artificial sweeteners like the equivalent of of drinking like 40 cans of diet coke a day um so, you know, if, if you're doing that, Josh, like, you don't need me to tell you, like, you know, yeah. rein it in, fella. That's probably not, <laughs> that's probably not uh, the best thing to be doing. <clears throat> yeah. But in sort of normally consumed amounts, <clears throat> um, they're fine. Yeah. And, you know, and they're not necessarily, like, beneficial. Like, they're a bit of a neutral yeah. uh, food. Except for things like stevia. Stevia is, uh, and uh, erythritol, like, they have some, some health benefits. But, um 
they're also natural, so they're not yeah. technically artificial sweeteners. Um, but you know, if that helps somebody manage their the sweet tooth, um, and you know, and reduces like potential excess sugar intake, then that's going to be a beneficial. That's a net positive in that case. Yeah. Um, and in the same vein of, you know, saying something is bad, but not giving a context to how much is being given. Uh, fruit, uh, like in fructose, like I don't know, is that still a myth? Because it is. Yeah, like, I get a couple of people saying, "Can I give me a text or or a, a message saying how much fruit can I eat, or is too much fruit too bad?" It's hands and hands and heads moment. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy. Yeah? I mean, because when you think about it, it's like you know, the, the fruit <laughs> fruit was very uh, prevalent on say the food pyramid, right? So there's so if if if, if the if the foundation of someone's nutrition knowledge is just the food pyramid, like they have nothing else, they're probably going to think that fruit is good. But then it's like a little bit of knowledge or a little bit of poor information, maybe in the, especially in the body composition space. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, fruit is full of fructose. Um, you know, it's going to blow your liver out and stop you being able to lose weight. Like it's, it's absolute nonsense. Like mm. fruit is class. Um, like it's it's so high volume first of all it's delicious yeah. Yeah. um like i've never i've never had anyone struggle because they're eating too much fruit uh they might struggle if they're not eating enough fruit i'll say that because like yeah. you know uh, the example i often use like is frozen berries man like you know they're like 30 odd calories per 100 grams, grams like, yeah. you're telling me i can have a kilo of food in a bowl in front of me for about 300 calories which is what, like less than 50 grams uh, of chocolate, you know? Yeah. Like think about that, a kilogram of food versus 50 grams, you know, what's going to be more filling? Um, what's going to help you with your goals more so? Yeah. Um, and then with, with fructose, like overall, again, they're generally overfeeding studies. Um, yeah, I've, heard, I've heard of them, like you, uh, something in bananas or something, wasn't it? Like there's this one study, remember hearing on a podcast before where you just have to eat an absolute ridiculous amount of fructose, like in, like un unable to eat amounts for it to actually have a negative effect or something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you consider say, uh, you know, say banana might be like 14 grams of carbs. Yeah. Um, you know, just because it's fruit doesn't mean all those carbs are fructose. Like they're not, mm. it's about, exactly. you know, some, some fruits are higher, some are lower, but it's probably about 50%, let's say. Um, so that's only seven grams of fructose per banana, and it works out. Threshold that's used in those studies, um, and then to actually get to like a harmful effect, it could be like 40, 50 more. And like, again, you're not going to be doing that. Um, you, sorry, you, you froze a tiny bit in there. Could you just repeat that a little bit again? Just the how, how much was in the study? 40 grams, did you say? Um, so, so I was saying that bananas, uh, oh, about seven, seven grams of fructose all in all. Yeah. 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 So about probably about seven grams of fructose. Um, and you know, to extend that to like 150 or 300 grams of fructose, you know, you're talking like you know, 20, 30, 30 40 bananas. bananas. Yeah. Um, which is, you're not going to be eating that. Like yeah. you're just not. So you know, eat, you know, see what happens by eating yeah. more fruit. Like it's, it's one of the, you know, cornerstone habits that I would have that helps people get better results, better health. Like, you know, they're high in fiber again, tasty. That, that's yeah. definitely important. Um, yeah. 
so yeah eat more fruit everybody that's uh, <laughs> a take a key takeaway here yeah um, the, the frozen berries as well so i absolutely love them and every single client i'd say that's listened to this now is now understanding why we have them in there yeah yeah it's like because you know if, if, if anyone's ever struggling with hunger it's like all right let's let's have you eaten half a kilo of <clears throat> fruit a day and see how you get on yeah um big time they probably won't hit that target you know um yeah what other uh nutrition myths could there be I suppose um too much way too much protein like carbs after six is going to be one as well there's just so much out there i think that just would couldn't even that that's a podcast in itself actually i might get you back for that one <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we could definitely do that man because uh, there's so many and like i said it's just like oh man are people still on that carbs after six yeah uh, i'd say so yeah i learned the hard way anyway unfortunately yeah uh but now it's you know the, the i don't see much of the time restricted feeding research coming out and like the the chrono nutrition so like how your body clock interacts with food and vice versa um so now it's actually coming back to like you know not eating in the biological night is uh, is actually a, a smart thing to do mm-hmm. um so it's not quite no carbs after six but it's like you know yeah, maybe don't slam a lot at three in the morning kind of thing mm-hmm. Especially if you're not, if your circadian rhythm is is not supposed to be awake at three in the morning, yeah, for which sure, it never is. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, okay, so last last one or two little things is is going to be um, just kind of li- uh, what does your dine currently look like at the moment? Is that that's what I wanted to get from? Like, what are the kind of things that you employ, or is it just just a very nutrient dense, good quality diet, or is there any sort of kind of ways you 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 favor, and then I'd love to get a little bit on, on kind of plant-based diets and stuff like that as well. Yeah, sure thing, man. Yeah, they, those will go nicely together because yeah. uh, one of the, the main points of my own eating is that I eat a lot of plants, right? So yeah. at, my, at my high point, um, which was sometime in the last couple of years anyway, but I was, there was a point there I was eating you know, 15 to 20 servings of uh, plants a day which is, it's a lot like that. Yeah, yeah. that was, uh, yeah, it was not easy to do it was like every meal had you know five servings of veg with it yeah um so you know that's i'm not eating quite that much now but still very much 20 are you emphasis. saying 20 different servings as well different types you mean like ty- sorry different types yeah uh no not not 20 different types okay. uh, the, the variety that would be ridiculous <laughs> i mean i was pro- i was definitely hitting over 10 to 12 different varieties yeah um, for sure, yeah, because I would just make big trays of roast vegetables, so there's probably like under ten different veg in that yeah. for starters. But um, anyway, sorry to actually answer the question. Yeah, my diet looks like I eat a lot of everything, right? So I eat uh, a lot of plants, so fruits, vegetables, whole grains, uh, pulses. I kind of phase in and out of. That's just uh, just naturally how my eating goes. Like there's no reason for that uh, except just. You know, sometimes I forget to include them more. Yep. Um, I also eat a lot of uh, a lot of animal protein, um, high quality animal protein. So, yeah, really, the the diet is based on, like you said, quality and nutrient density. Um, obviously, like sufficient protein for um, you know physical and performance goals, uh, 
that sort of thing. And then it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's very inclusive as well. Like I don't, I don't restrict myself on anything um, except for, you know, portions or quantities, but there's no foods that are off limits. Um, I really, really enjoy food. So I, I eat a lot of it, but um, you know, it, it's, it is like 70, 80%, like very high quality mm-hmm. uh, nutrient dense stuff to, you know, help me feel and perform my best. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's nothing too fancy, I suppose. Like I'll, I'll probably go have, um, you know, some oats and a lot of those berries and some dark chocolate and like nuts and seeds in that. And that'll be, you know, breakfast. And I'll have some uh, protein powder to go with that to provide the protein. But, um, yeah, just, just, just a lot of plants, a lot of protein. Yeah. I think some as well, some people get a lot, lot of, um, or just kind of underlook is quality, isn't it? I see that. I see that quite a bit as well. And just seeing like, just like uh, even from a, a a plant source, just like uh, like how the difference in just like the cheapest like I don't know carrot there versus the organic or even a banana or something like that. Like quality, I think, goes out the window for most people just because it's 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 cheaper and it's easily easily attainable. I think that driving quality of food is going to be such a big part of the puzzle. Do you see much of that as well? Um, yeah, but like I wouldn't. Uh... You know, if someone's eating vegetables, I'm not going to oh, split yeah, yeah. about if it's, you know, the organic or the non-organic because like there's no, yeah. no real good evidence for organic food being more healthful. Um, obviously, it depends where you're getting your food at times. Like, yeah. you know, say if you're in the States and you have a choice between, say, grass-fed beef and, uh, you know, 